New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. On today's episode, we're taking a lengthy look at the USA's 1-0 win over El Salvador in the CONCACAF Nations League, as well as this camp in general, where we go from here. To do so, I'm joined by two friends. Up first, a man who spent two-plus hours last night talking soccer with me. It's Joe Lowry. Joe, how's the voice? How's the energy? The voice is good. I was feeling it a little bit last night, and I I got some flashbacks to the World Cup where we were doing... (laughs) Multiple shows a day at times, and we were traveling around New York trying to stay alive to watch all the World Cup soccer. So I did get some glimpses back to that to remember what it felt like to be tired of talking. Uh, But Taylor, it was a joy. I'm surprised we made it through that game, as as much of that game as we did, without talking more about barbecue. If anything, I think we, we shorted that part that we were meant to discuss more. But all in all, it was a good time. I think the only other like watch-alongs I've done in recent memory were with Bobby Warshaw, where I don't think we talked about the game very much at all. So I do think you and I did a mostly better job uh, of staying on topic and talking about things uh, as they came. But I'm interested to hear if our other co-host has done live streams as well and what his thoughts are on them. Rounding out this uh, the crew this Tuesday is a man who loves a USMNT win, but loves an outfield player going in goal even more. It's David Goss. David is Justin Rasmussen, the goalkeeper that Portland didn't know they needed. It's the one they deserve. I'll give them that much at least at this point. That doesn't sound as nice. No, it doesn't. But it's the reality, and that's what you get. Uh, I believe live streams should never talk about games, so I'm in really? favor of that. Yeah, is that so, is that genuine, or, or do you feel like it should just be? I don't, like, if I wanted you to talk only about the game, I'd watch the broadcast, right? Mm-hmm. So, if what's your approach then? Is it just like the sandwiches you had that day? Uh, what that cloud looks like? So, what, what are you going with when it comes to your live streams? I like to think it's you're sitting at the bar, you're watching a game, and I'd argue the game is a stimulus to conversations that occur otherwise. And you're talking about Antonio Conte's emotional stability. You're talking about uh, the game you played last week. You're talking about sandwiches, barbecue, whatever it is that comes around that. I just picture. If we're going with the bar analogy, you starting off with like very salient, on point uh, arguments, and by the end, you're you're like, that should be every Olympic player. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> every day, de- you'd be the best one. I feel like that that's sort of how that would end up for you, guys. Yeah, probably. That's exactly <laughs> what it would be like. That's when, Taylor, that's when Taylor starts talking about what that cloud looked like, which is not yeah, a question exactly. I've ever heard someone <laughs> say in that way before. That's a second half combo for sure. I mean, I think we were we were sort of scraping were the bottom of the barrel. Were there clouds on the broadcast? I, that's what I'm not understanding. It was to a night game. 
There could be clouds in the sky. I'm going to move us swiftly on from this one. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about this game uh, specifically. We had the USA with that 1-0 win. David has torn his headphones off and walked away, I'm assuming because he's so frustrated with the cloud conversation early on in this one. Uh, he has now returned. David, was it the clouds that made you walk away? No. It was like, <laughs> I accidentally turned my dishwasher on, I think. <laughs> That'll happen. That'll yeah. happen. Uh, Joe Lowry, uh, let's go through general thoughts on the El Salvador game, starting with the lineup. Were there any surprises for you, or did you feel like this was sort of maybe more of a full-strength team, uh, less so the semi-experimental one we saw against Granada? Yeah, really just one surprise for me. Mostly it was full-strength. Mostly it was more what I expected from a must-result must game. The U.S. didn't need to win this match. <laughs> well they said. needed a point to advance to the Final Four of the CONCACAF Nations League which was the whole goal of this thing, right? With Anthony Hudson in charge and, and still not much clarity on where the USMNT is going from a personnel, higher-up personnel standpoint, like there's there's not a ton of deep tactical stuff. And we will talk some about tactics later, but there's not a ton of deep stuff that we can take from these pair of games. So that's the, the caveat to start with. But in general, it was a lineup I expected outside of one spot, and that was over on the right wing where we saw Alejandro Zendejas play. I thought it would probably be Brendan Aronson. So Reyna and Pulisic and McKenney all started both games. I thought Aronson might do the same. I think it's somewhat telling of either how much Anthony Hudson rates Zendejas, and, and from being in some Anthony Hudson press conferences, he does like himself some Zendejas. Or you know maybe it's a function of Zendejas had just been really, really good in training and, and had earned a look in this much more important game of the window. But I mean, it was a, a fairly expected lineup for the more important game of the two. Matt Turner in goal. You had Miles Robinson and Tim Ream in the back. It was fantastic to see Miles Robinson back with the U.S. men's national team. I thought he had a very good game. You had Dest on the right, Jedi Robinson on the left. And then it really was a double pivot of Musa and McKinney for large stretches of this match with Gio Reyna as the 10 sort of shifting from side to side and kind of going wherever he wanted. Christian Pulisic out on the left wing. Zendejas tucking inside a lot on the right side. And then Daryl DK back at Exploria Stadium in Orlando. It was a good lineup and, and one that I really enjoyed watching for not the entirety of this game. It wasn't the best game of all time, but I thought they strung together some really nice sequences. And I, I enjoyed a lot of this match. I don't know if I enjoyed a lot of this match. I think I found it interesting for what the U.S. was trying to do. And I think how they were better able to execute it in the second half. I think this was more what I thought this camp was going to be, a little bit of rust, a little bit of shakiness, a little bit slower in possession, specifically against El Salvador. But I was pleased that the United States were able to turn it around in that second half. Goss, for you, I know you weren't watching this one live. You had games of your own to play in the driving rain, heroically, I'm assuming. Uh, but watching it on replay, did you know the score? Like when you, when you watch these games, do you kind of look at what's already happened and then watch the game so you don't have some of that pressure? Or are you trying to keep it as fresh as possible? Well, I got out with time left, so I was like, I'm going to watch this part live. So I knew the second half, then went back, watched the first half all the way through to the second half. Um, and I guess my initial, when I looked at the score was, oh, really? It's 0-0? Zero, zero? It was like the 56th, 57th minute when I got off the field and was a little surprised by that. And then I went back and watched, and it wasn't super shocking, right? El Salvador is a team that we have now seen consistently that understands their fundamentals, that plays as a unit, that's probably more cohesive than most teams are in a window like this right now. Um, and they've gotten up for games against the U.S. over and over under Hugo Perez. So 
that part wasn't super shocking. I think the part that was most frustrating to me on the rewatch was the ideas in possession for the U.S. in the first half, especially building out of the back. And it seemed to me like there were some pieces higher up the field that weren't helping in the build out. And so you ended up having more pressure on the center backs and center mids than you needed to. And that was a little bit slow. And I thought that got better in the second half for a number of reasons. And we can talk about them. But I thought overall, like Joe said, I think there was good energy to this game and that that made it enjoyable to watch. And I thought there was a ton of chances, whether they were put away or not, which made it pretty entertaining. That's interesting. Did you feel like it was the the shape itself that wasn't conducive to some of what the U.S. was trying to do or more individual execution of uh, that approach? Because we saw the U.S. in that sort of more more of a four two three one as we did against Granada. Uh, Gio Reyna functioning as more of that kind of creative number 10. Did you feel like it was just sort of growing pains or were there other sort of individual issues? There was two big things that stood out to me. And one got a lot better in the second half, which was the positioning of the fullbacks. I thought in the second half, Jedi went really high in a lot of moments, gave width in possession higher up the field, but also vacated the space to allow the center mids to find the ball when they played out of the back and Dest as well. The other one is on Gio Reyna. And I don't know exactly if it's formational or personnel, right? Is it that Gio isn't really a center mid and isn't going to consistently come find the ball and reset the way the other center mids are playing to help you find angles to play through. And if you think back to the World Cup, you have Musa as that player. It wasn't the same formation, but you have three center mids, one of them being Musa, who's more comfortable trying to find the ball in that space and help you build out. So I thought it was both formational and personnel. Uh, and I thought the formation side got a little bit better in the second half, which was big, but Reina still never found the ball throughout that second half. I'll add, I'll add one more thing on that. Guys, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I, I think both of these these things can be true, what you said and what I'm about to say. I noticed in the second half, and, and again, like I'm not sure how much of this actually matters, so let's take all this with a grain of salt. I noticed Jetta Robinson staying deeper for large stretches of the second half. He did get forward in, in both halves, but in the second half, I almost noticed the U.S. going into more of a 3-2-5 shape for, for large stretches, not for the entirety of the game in that second 45, but I noticed Jedi Robinson sort of hanging back a little bit deeper on that left side, and then the U.S. essentially just finding that 3-2-5 shape where it's a fullback plus the two center backs to make the back three, the double pivot, and then you've got the other fullback and a winger providing width, and then you have Reyna and the other winger in the half spaces, and then Daryl DK as the number nine. We've seen the U.S. use that shape a bunch in possession over the last four four years now. Is that me? I can think I can do my math correctly on that. Mm-hmm. We, we've seen either a 2-3-5 where the fullbacks go high, the, the three central midfielders stay deep, and the wingers tuck in. Or we've seen a 3-2-5 with either a six or a fullback making that back three, and you still sort of fill in the rest of the spots from there. So a part of my thinking, I don't know if this is right. And again, like I don't know that we should read into much of this while Anthony Hudson is manager anyway. But my thinking is maybe the U.S. looked a little bit better and more comfortable in the second half because they were in a, a shape that was more familiar to them, at least for stretches of that second 45. You also have, and then as the game goes along, you have Miles Robinson who hasn't played an international in, what, a year now? And I think he he was a little hesitant to pass forward. I also think when what you're talking about, Joe, it became less of Weston McKinney dropping deep, who likes to be on the ball, but doesn't always pick out passes going forward. And he was the one who had the assist to Pepe, but that comes from a higher position. And when he drops in to get the ball, I don't think that's where he's really comfortable. 
Um, I we're gonna talk about Sergio Dest a bunch because I have a bunch of things about Sergio Dest. <laughs> he has attributes that are unique, and I don't think the U.S. has ever weaponized them properly. And one of them is you have how many teams in the world that play, and less so now, more the last few years, where you rotate that fullback inside and play through him. And it's like, this guy is world-class on the ball. He wants to be on the ball. And I don't know why that's never an idea the U.S. has used um, with Sergio Dest. Instead, you just you, you push him high. And if you can, you clip that ball you know, past the second forward who's giving extra pressure or the winger. He brings it down. He either goes up the line or he gets in trouble, which means he dribbles in field and probably creates one of the better moments of the game for the U.S. the two or three times he's forced to do it. And that's one of the moves I'd like to see. And, and you mentioned, Joe, Jedi dropping deeper because you want Dest higher up sure. the field. But I don't know why it always has to be outside if the guy is probably the best in possession yeah. in tight spaces on the team. Yeah, I, I love that idea, Gus. I really do. I think there's a way with the U.S.'s personnel when the whole pool is here to do something like that. I, I think it's difficult in this particular starting 11 for this game, because if you put Dest inside, then Zendejas is the one who's going to provide width, and that's not really what you want. And and maybe you should prioritize Dest over Zendejas anyway. So maybe you should just say, hey, Zendejas, you're about as good at this as Dest would be. You go out wide. But either way, setting that aside, if you think about when the full pool is together, I love the idea of having Tim Weah be a guy that's wider and providing width, and you say, okay, we're going to get some good service from Weah. We're going to get some good direct running, hopefully some outside-in runs. He's not really a 1v1 dribbler, Tim Weah, but you know he'll still give you some width and some verticality, which is what Tim Weah is really good at, right? So you get Weah a little bit wider. You have Dest pinch inside, and you can still roll with this double pivot, right? And maybe then you get to the 2-3-5 shape. You push the other fullback high, Jedi on the left side, and you've got Jedi and Weah providing width. You have Dest plus two central midfielders in midfield, and then you sort of fill in the rest of the attackers from there. I, I wish I'm, I'm I'm in your camp. I wish we would have seen more of that under Greg Berhalter. We we almost never did for any sustained period of time. I, I hope we do under the next manager. It won't be it won't be Anthony Hudson, and it, it won't be over the next few months most likely. But I, I hope we see it sooner rather than later. Man, when they cut to Anthony Hudson on the highlight of the goal, <laughs> like it was Pepe's first touch off the bench. He didn't celebrate, and he gave a look to his assistants of like, yeah, nailed that one. <laughs> like, if he, if he was interviewing, and I don't know if he's interviewing, and if he's up for it, I think making the change that leads directly to a goal in a game that wins and qualifies you potentially as the number one seed for CONCACAF Nations League is as good a foot as you can put forward. I don't like this game anymore. I, I do not like this game I anymore. know you don't. It's I don't fun. either. Okay. All right. So David Goss says Anthony Hudson should be the next USMNT coach, regardless of who else is a possibility. Got that one in the notes. Um, I want to do a little bit of table setting really quickly. Uh, I think it's important before we go fully back into the weeds, uh, because as Joe said, I think this match is is interesting in that there is pressure, but there's not a ton of pressure. The United States only needing to avoid a loss. They do that. They get the win. They top their group in CONCACAF Nations League with 10 points. Uh, but it is... A, I wouldn't say an experimental team, but when it's an interim manager, it's always going to be a little bit questionable what they're doing, or we're going to have to look at sort of how they're setting up, how they're playing. Is it just a continuation of what we've seen previously? Is Anthony Hudson trying to do his own thing? Uh, all within the context of, as you said, Goss, an El Salvador team that has been difficult for the United States. They It's the only uh, game they drop points in, in this round of Nations League. It's a team that they drew nil-nil to start World Cup qualifying uh, in El Salvador, and much was made of that. 
So looking at this game then from that broader perspective, I think it's worth having that conversation about Anthony Hudson for a moment. Do either of you have feelings one way or the other on what he is trying to do with this team? Is is he potentially trying to sort of build a little bit of a resume in case there is a conversation to be had about yeah. like, you know, getting his foot in the door for an interview? Do you feel like he is sort of trying to make this team his own or do some things that he wants to do? Do you feel like it is a little bit treading water, getting some players in there, getting some new faces in there, but a lot of it, maybe things that would have happened even if Anthony Hudson weren't there, where yeah. you are on his te- tenure so far? I think that was the first and the third, if I can remember that list correctly. I think he is trying to build a resume, right? Because... Mm-hmm. If he's smart, he's trying to build this into a job, either with a club, with another lower-level national team, or, like, if I'm Anthony Hudson, I'm going out there to try my best, and you can't control what happens above you, but you continue to do the best that you can to try to get to the best job that you can, whether that's the U.S. job, which I really don't think would happen. I I, I would be utterly shocked if we ever saw that happen uh, before this next World Cup. But, I mean, you, you want to continue to build a resume. You want to show, like, hey, I did X, Y, Z at this job. This is why I'm qualified to do this job. So I think there's part of that. I also think, like, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing, both tactically and in terms of personnel and roster stuff, I think that was going to happen regardless. If Greg Berhalter was still involved, I think we were going to see Alejandro Zendejas. I think we were going to see Taylor Booth. I think we were going to see Miles Robinson brought back in. I'm, I'm very hesitant to say that Anthony Hudson is doing much that we wouldn't have seen from most other managers in this role. Not, that's not a shot at Anthony Hudson, um, but I think we're seeing a lot of natural progressions. Unfortunately, they're also treading water at the same time because we really can't read too much into any of this stuff because we don't know who the permanent, or, or at least as permanent as managers in soccer can be. We don't know who that guiding force is going to be ahead of 2026, which means we do have to take all this stuff with a grain of salt. I think I agree with you. I would say... I don't know Anthony Hudson's mind, you know, this he's an Englishman who managed Bahrain and New Zealand. I don't know how committed he is to US soccer, right? It's not his thing to build, but his one job is to make sure that any help that competitions could provide to future managers exists. AKA don't be out of qualifying for CONCACAF Nations League final and then potentially Copa America farther down the road depending on how long he has this job. So that was mission accomplished for him. Like that's his bare minimum right now is to make sure he keeps the team in qualification for everything a future manager could take over and do. Um, And I do think he could probably really only lose the opportunity. Like I'd be surprised if he did something that won it for him, but I wouldn't be shocked if they had lost 4-0 to Granada and, you know, Gio Reyna left the field crying and all this stuff where you're like, yep, Anthony Hudson's not going to get this job. So I don't think, if that makes sense, I think that's kind of the only direction he can go with this. And as Joe said, we've heard rumors that Bahrain has reached back out to him, where he managed and other national teams as well. So it's definitely a good spot for him to be in, but the world is a weird place. I mean, this guy got hired to be a U-20 manager like three years ago, and now he's managing the full national team. And Gareth Southgate didn't have his full licenses when he took over as the head manager of England because he was a U21 coach with, like, no first-team experience. So weirder things have happened, and this is kind of the reality of dysfunctional organizations and moments of flux, and if you're around, you're around. And so I, I wouldn't be shocked if he internally thinks he has a chance at it. So if we're saying then that the kind of ideal right now for Hudson and for the U.S. is that he 
steadies the ship, steers the ship such that things continue on. We continue to qualify for uh, future competitions, but that he kind of shows, backs up his resume a little bit or improves his resume, adds some new lines to it. Uh, Maybe the Ricardo Pepe substitution is on that resume now. Uh, But then he makes himself a more ideal candidate for other gigs. If those are kind of the dual goals of this period in U.S. soccer, I do feel like it's been a success under Anthony Hudson. I think the January camp goes well enough. These two games are both wins. We get some new faces in. We get some new little tactical wrinkles, some new ideas. We get some uh, substitutions that have an impact. We kind of know a little bit more about the pool. So overall, I'm inclined to say a successful window and thus far a successful tenure for Anthony Hudson as interim manager. Uh, Joe, agree, disagree with that? I agree with that. I want to add one thing, and I'm not trying to be Man, I feel like I'm being a little Eeyore on this episode of like, this stuff doesn't really matter a ton. We should we should sort of just take a half step back from everything. I do want to say I agree with all that. I think Anthony Hudson has done a fine job so far, and the U.S. Have, have done some good things, and they've gotten the job done to get to the bigger games this summer. I will say I'm getting increasingly nervous that the U.S. is going to play through these summer tournaments with Anthony Hudson in charge. And like I said earlier, I don't have anything against Anthony Hudson. hundred percent. Like, the, the clock's ticking, Goss. Like, there's only so much yeah. time. There only are so many competitions. It's great that the Copa America is coming, and I'm stoked about that. And, and there will be someone else in charge by then, almost certainly, and you will have some direction. But I, I, I feel like, Taylor, you said this, this phrase earlier, and I think it's accurate. It does feel like the U.S. is treading water. Like, maybe they're bobbing a little bit higher after last night, and, and they're sort of moving in the, in the right direction, generally speaking, but they're like just sort of groping around looking for something right now because there's no GM or sporting director, whatever that structure is going to look like. We still don't know, although it seems very likely that it's just going to be a sporting director with no GM underneath them. But they can't seem to get that person hired to then get the managerial search actually underway. And I, I am a little bit nervous about how long this seems to be taking and about what we know from past timelines of how long other hires have taken U.S. soccer. Yeah, there's no chance Anthony Hudson isn't managing this summer because there's no time for them. I would be shocked if the sporting director was like thoroughly in place by the time CONCACAF Nations League final, which I think is June like 15th, kicks off. There's no chance that there's a manager in by then. So, uh, Joe, I think your fears there are, are realized, unfortunately. I would say... And I think this is something that I talked about a lot over the last three years. Um, and I think has come into light coming out of the Gio Reyna stuff is the biggest key for this team and this player pool is age and experience. So I don't totally agree with the treading water because Miles Robinson got another international game. Luca De La Torre looks comfortable at the international level. Zendejas got an international game. Pulisic looks like a captain. Like, those things can happen outside of the manager's tactical ideas being put in over the next three and a half years. And I think having stability, even with what Anthony Hudson's providing, right, of just being a calm voice and bringing people in and sort of just letting things ride out, I think that's Mm -hmm. even okay with some of the chaos we have seen from U.S. soccer in the past on the women's side, right? Battling with your own federation on the men's side, chaos, blackmailing, whatever else. So I do think that this isn't wasted is what I would say. I think there can be positives that come out of this. It won't be tactical stuff. It won't be pure team DNA stuff um, on the field, but I do think that there's a lot going on. And I Mm -hmm. was talking to someone about, you know, 
on the Giorena side, we, you know, Pulisic sort of made a comment to Herc and Sebi. Otherwise, it's been Matt Turner and Tim Ream who have talked about it. They're the only two veterans on this roster. And so I think you still are seeing the effects of having like a 24-year-old player base. Mm -hmm. And that was part of, I think, what happened. And I think that's part of something that was always going to be unavoidable when you reset the whole system and you skipped a generation and you pulled these players up who are capable fit like talent wise of playing at a high level, maybe as high a level as we've ever seen. But I still think over the next year or two, there is positives that come out of that. That's fair. And I do want to talk about Gio Reyna, some more of those positives, some more individual performances. Uh, I want to go to a break. I want to conclude this part of the episode by just noting much as I am loath to give U.S. soccer credit, I will say when they did the investigation is ongoing press conference, when they uh, called a press conference to announce that there was an investigation, but that they couldn't comment on the investigation because the investigation was ongoing, but there was an investigation. It was ongoing, but it couldn't. Taylor they were, investigating, yeah, they were investigating as well, I believe, the ongoing nature of the investigation. <laughs> of course. Of course they were. They had to make sure it was ongoing, investigating that to make sure that the invest. Anyway, uh, the point there would be they did spell out. A, a rough timeline of we hope to have a GM in place. There was a little bit of confusion in my mind as to if it was like the, in the summer or by the end of the Women's World Cup. But they did sort of tell us ahead of time it's going to be a lengthier search. Prepare to not have a coach in place. I don't. You don't have to love that. You don't have to hate that. I say that just to say that it isn't necessarily as though the U.S. is sort of just like completely being inactive, not doing what they need to be doing. I think they told us they were going to take their time. They are now taking their time. So I will take them at their word and say they're doing what they said they would, and I'm okay with it. But if we creep into the summer and we have no more rumors of managers coming in or GMs coming in, and it does feel like they end up making some hasty decisions, I said this on the live show, if it ends up just being, oh, yep, they went with Greg Berhalter again, I won't be necessarily opposed to Burhalter himself. I might be opposed to the fact that they said they needed time to figure things out and then didn't interview anybody else or didn't make that public. So I think there is, I think, some some fairness in that feeling of wasted opportunities at the same time. Since I think they told us they're going to take their time with it, I'm a little bit less panicked than I would be otherwise. Not saying either one of you is panicked, but I tend to panic in these moments. Uh, I, on that note, I'll, I'll take us to a break real quick. We'll come back. Goss, I want to hear your thoughts on that in just a second. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. When last we left you, uh, I was talking about the investigation being ongoing and why we shouldn't panic. David Goss, make us panic. I'm assuming that's where you were going with it. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's just 
these are things, a lot of these things are stuff we're not going to know till after. That's the nature of this organization. Um, I will be let down and I think it would be wrong. And I don't want to say unprofessional because I don't know if that's the right term. If it comes out that Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride didn't have a list that was not vetted and not interviewed, but like you had all the points of who would take the job, what would it cost? What would they bring to the national team program when they left? I will be thoroughly upset because Greg Berhalter's contract had an end date and it wouldn't have been disloyal to have done that. It would have been professional and it would have been your job and you should have had that plan. Not because you thought Greg Berhalter couldn't come back, but because you never know, like he could take another job. He could have won the world cup and that would have been it. It it doesn't matter. There should be a list at us soccer right now and it will change, right? People on that list will get jobs. Other people will lose jobs Post-World Cup, national team managers become available, club clubs fire people, like all that stuff changes. But if there isn't already, if we don't find out later, yeah, you know, so-and-so stepped in and took the list that Ernie and Brian McBride had put together and built on it. And then they used Sportsology and brought in more candidates and whatever. I'll be upset about that. Would that extend, are you talking about just with the permanent national team manager, or are you talking about the GM position itself? Because I think I would extend that to, if there's no list of, hey, I did the job, I know what it entails, right. here are some people that I think could do that job well, I would be equally frustrated with Ernie Stewart. Less so Brian McBride, only because I'm not entirely sure he actually did that much. But Ernie Stewart <laughs> definitely should have had a list in place. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, that also goes to Cindy Parlo Cohn then, right? You sure. go one step up there, which is, Whenever Ernie Stewart told you he was leaving, did you start putting together that list of what comes next? And are you just in a holding pattern because of the investigation to investigate? Or (laughs) are you seriously not sure who it could be? I think it's also important to blame Sunil Gulati because why not? That's always fun. Uh, Joe, let's talk Man, about dude, some- when they win the World Cup. That guy's going to take such a victory lap. It's going to be yes, hilarious. he will. Yes, he when, will. I said not if. Uh, yeah, I, and I'm assuming you're talking about 2026. So let's talk about some of the players who will win the World Cup in 2026 for the United States. Uh, we saw lots of performances in these two camps in El Salvador specifically. Joe, I want to start off since you already praised him. Let's talk Miles Robinson for a moment, who I thought was one of the standout performers from the United States in this one. Some of that definitely the narrative of him coming back in after the uh, the injury that kept him out of the World Cup and kept him out for Atlanta. Now he's back. He looked very, very good. I don't know how much El Salvador really threw at him to make him uncomfortable, but everything they tried to throw at him, he caught and threw right back at them. Sorry, I'm just trying to figure out how to get into Galati's class at Columbia. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to go through the registration process for that. The, the website, shockingly, is not great. But I'll keep everybody posted on that. Are you an expert on Moldovan economics? I'm about to be. I'm about to be. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought, and we talked about this on the the BR Watch Along yesterday, Taylor. I thought Miles Robinson was very good in this game. You're right to point out, and I love that you're getting in on the caveat game. It's more fun with two. Uh, that like El Salvador didn't really test him very much, right? So he had some work to do, some sweeping to do, and 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 some you know individual defensive moments and some on ball stuff. But like he, he didn't have a ton going on in this game. But just in general, I was encouraged that it looked like Miles Robinson, the athlete, was back, which I don't know. I guess with modern technology today and and a lot of this stuff, an Achilles injury is one that you do bounce back from. Uh, But it's not a given. It's still, yeah, it's not a given, right? It's absolutely not a given. And so to see Miles Robinson, a player whose game is predicated a lot on his ability to run in behind his uh, running behind his own back line, not the other one. <laughs> his ability to sweep in and sort of clean things up and be that last defender. To see a lot of those traits come back 
has been super encouraging. And this isn't the first time I've seen it this year, right? If, if folks have been watching Atlanta United, they've seen a lot of this stuff. But it's still, Atlanta United's system is not the U.S.'s system. And so, and, and who honestly, who knows what the U.S.'s system is because of the whole or Atlanta United. stuff. <laughs> right, or, or Atlanta United. <laughs> Look at this. But it was great to see Robinson back. I think he is... What is a system? Let's just he, take it that much further, right? <laughs> That's actually a fair question that we that we probably shouldn't oh, get no. into right no, now. But, no, uh, two in the weeds. Two he, in the weeds. He adds he adds another body to like center backs that you are fully comfortable in a must win game. Like Robinson wasn't involved at the World Cup. You had Walker Zimmerman, you had Tim Ream, and you had Cameron Carter Vickers sort of doing that job. And I'm I'm not fully all the way there yet on CCV, and I'm I'm not really all the way there on Walker Zimmerman either. Tim Ream has his own limitations. None of these players are perfect. But if you're looking at the top five in a center back core of Chris Richards, which is still a question mark because he's never healthy, Tim Ream, Zimmerman, Robinson, and CCV, like I, I feel pretty good about that. I feel noticeably better about that group of five and choosing among those players than I did about the World Cup center back core. So in general, good night for Robinson. Great to see him back involved. I've been encouraged by his progression coming back from that injury, that Achilles injury. And I think he makes this U.S. team better. Is it fair to say he's the best 1v1 defender in space in the U.S. pool? Yeah, I would think so. I think given given his speed, uh, especially given that injury, but I think also that he he does seem to be very good at sort of trusting his athleticism to make up the difference. We saw that one moment in the second half, Joe, where I think El Salvador would have been or were offside anyway, but he holds the line, makes sure that they're offside, but then still closes a yep. good five yards to win the ball and, tackle, and I think yeah. uh, tackles out for a corner and then it's offside anyway. So I think that sort of individual effort that athleticism does allow him to be a difference maker, which is why we were so sad that he got that injury and couldn't be involved in the World Cup. And I think when you look back at the World Cup, that is his great attribute. I don't know how much it would have changed. Obviously, you have the penalty that Walker Zimmerman gives away against Wales. Maybe that's a mistake Miles doesn't make. Uh, he's not a better passer, really, than Walker, so he wouldn't have changed the team in that way. Maybe it would have opened players up a little more. Like, Des could have been more aggressive, knowing he had Miles behind him. But I do think that attribute that Miles has stands alone. And in my mind, if the U.S. moves to a higher-pressing system as they go forward, that solidifies him in the starting lineup because he is your elite player to cover ground over the top as well as a guy that you can leave alone. You don't need to defend in numbers around him. So I thought, as Joe said, it was really good week for for Miles Robinson to prove he is who he was. And the things that he brings to the table are things that he is, you know, attributes that only he provides to the men's national team program. Joe, if you're putting together a roster for the U.S. and you have five center back options, what is your center back, center back depth chart right now? I'll just go ahead and because I know you put Chris Richards as number one. Yeah, that sounds good. That really yep. does sound good to mm-hmm. me, Taylor. You know me yep. so well. I Josh Winder, Richards, number two. Josh Winder, number two. Benfica, a future is. Benfica player. <laughs> you will, Taylor. Don't worry, you will. Um, Chris Richards, Zimmerman, Robinson, CCV, and Reem would be the top five. And I, I think there's a pretty clear gap between that five, to be honest, and anybody else. Trusty's it- the next one that we think could close it. Does that yeah. feel right? I, I mean, that's the that's the prevailing narrative. I'm not sure that I've seen much from him yet, and I haven't watched all the the Birmingham footage either. So, again, take what I'm saying now with a grain of salt. But I'm not convinced that, like, one of the next guys up is really that much closer than the others. Yeah. The one thing to point out, and I was thinking about it while watching this game, is the top three center backs outside of Chris Richards, if you're putting him there, 
in the U.S. pool are all college grads. I do think it's a position that you develop later. I think it's harder to read a great young center back besides being elite in possession and an elite athlete, which isn't all the way there, if that makes sense. So similar to goalkeeper, I do think it's a later progressing position. And I wouldn't be shocked if it's one where we continue to find national team players outside of the traditional pipeline of youth national team guys and like high level 17 year old pro starters. And I do think that's going to remain a part of the U.S. process. And I don't think that's a bad thing. The whole like, oh, with too many players fall through, blah, blah, blah. It's a 300 plus million person country. That's just a reality. That's why you have all these teams. That's why you have college, next pro, USL, NPS. Like that's why all of this needs to exist. Is it, so is that an intelligence thing, do you think? Uh, maybe maybe I'm falsely equating going to college with getting smart. Uh, but, but Goss, for you, is that sort of center back requires uh, no, I think level intelligence? So I think so. it's physical development. Okay. Like to hang at the – like Jalen Neal will struggle this year uh-huh. physically in Major League Soccer because he's an 18-year-old center back. And there's like no way to accelerate that except naturally. So I think that's a big part of it. And then I do think it's a position that takes time to gain trust in. Managers are not going to give you time and you can't get it with you can't take steps until you play. And so I do think it's a position that a lot of older guys are going to get opportunities later on, but then show that they're capable to be a Matt Beasler, an Omar Gonzalez, a Miles Robinson, a Walker Zimmerman. I mean, that's the list of guys we're talking about. Tim Ream, four year college guy that got drafted. And yeah, it was a different time. But still, I, I think that will continue to be something at that position. Joe, you're TSS's, TSS's resident young person. How do you feel about this old guy slander? No, I, well, I mean, in general, if I get to slander an old guy, specifically Ryan Bailey in his references to Twitch as a concept, <laughs> then I, I got to take advantage of it. Otherwise, I try to stay more neutral Switzerland style, but Fair. depends on the moment, Taylor. All right, who are you less neutral on from this uh, camp, from this roster then? I, I thought Zendejas was generally a positive Did you? Force. I had no idea. Yeah, I don't know if Taylor's ever heard me talk about Alejandro Zendejas before. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's ready to come in and like rip a starting spot away from anybody right now. And I want to hear, Goss, I want to hear your thoughts on this, because I have talked about it a decent amount over the last week or so. But his technical ability, like his baseline, just seems really high to me. He's got some mobility. I thought you could see some encouraging signs of him after not spending much time at all with this group of guys, like the top group. You could see some moments where he wasn't quite on the same page with people, but you could also see moments where like he and Dest and, and Gio or Musa or McKenny or Polisic, like the guys, were actually going out there and combining a little bit and playing some soccer. And that's encouraging to me. I think he's a guy that can elevate this group's floor. So I'm encouraged by him and want to see more of him. Goss, what have you thought of Zendaya so far? Pretty much the same, which was, I think, walking away from these two games, I see another depth piece that, I don't think you lose a game because Zendejas is playing. I didn't see a match winner yet. Yeah, like agreed. A lot of what he wanted to do on the dribble, a lot of the ideas didn't come off. But when you talk about the pool, I think you saw a player right now who's probably ahead of, you know, Paul Ariola maybe, or Jordan Morris, which just depth gives you more depth in that spot. And I think he's a guy who can play on both sides, who can come inside, so it gives you flexibility. And I think part of why you see him start is like he's playing at a really high level, right? He plays at Club America. That's one of the giants in Mexico. And the trajectory of his career so far is that he will go past that. And so I think you're getting him in and you're kind of getting him comfortable with the program because you actually think he could get better. And you mentioned that connections. He grew up with a lot of these guys. 
So like he actually has ties where like a Balogun won't really know players. Although I guess he grew up with Musa. Um, if we get there, but uh, but I think Zendejas already had a pretty good starting point with all these players. So I was really happy with what I saw from him, and I think this is a guy that people should be excited about being in the program because I think he makes U.S. soccer better, and I think he had the potential to make Mexico better, and so that is a win in two directions um, for the U.S. I thought the one odd thing in the El Salvador game, which will come, is he kind of sat in the pocket where every U.S. center mid wanted to play through for Dest, and he intercepted two passes to Dest coming through on the overlap by accident because he didn't know. That's the type of stuff that will come with time as he figures it out. Um, but I th- I think I agree with most of what you said, Joe, of like what he can bring to this pool and already his baseline. The assumption being this will be you know his worst two games until he gets more comfortable, and this was already pretty solid. Joe, would you say the same of Taylor Booth, a player who we saw in spurts, I thought uh, did, looked a little bit shaky to start against El Salvador, but by the end was the player most confidently taking people on and making things happen. I love Booth's game, and I talked about this some on the Bleacher Report watch along yesterday. We haven't seen him put in like a consistent sub-appearance with the U.S. across these two games. He didn't do it against Granada, and you mentioned some of the inconsistency last night. And that's a little bit of a bummer. The The positive for Taylor Booth is that, like, Anthony Hudson's not going to be the guy calling the shots in the games that really matter going forward. And so, you know, your impression here doesn't carry as much weight as it would otherwise, which is which can be a positive or a negative depending on the player. For Booth, I think it's more of a positive. But yeah, you could see some of those moments where he's being direct. He's he's adding some quality in the final third. Taylor, I think your comparison is really good in terms of his energy and playing as a traditional winger on that right side. You compared him to, after I kind of ran through some of the attributes, like a more technical better on the ball, Paul Areola. And I don't know that the defensive work rate is all the way there, but to give folks an idea, he's he's quick, he's trying to be aggressive, he wants to be vertical, but he wants to actually do stuff on the ball, right? I think he takes Paul Areola and elevates that, right? And, and so when you sort of remove Paul Areola from the top of the pool, and this is no offense to Paul Areola, who seems like a great dude, but like you, you add someone who's a better version of the players that you've had in the pool before, that's the literal definition of getting better as a team. So... I don't know that Booth is a guarantee lock for any roster, but I think he is at the level where you can bring him in and you sort of know that you're going to get more than you got from the guys on the fringes in the last cycle and maybe the cycle before that and maybe the cycle. I mean, and that's how we're seeing this U.S. team improve. And I think it's really clear to see that and observe that in the winger Mm -hmm. core, especially right now. He reminded me of like an NFL running back, like a smaller running back when he has that first like hit when the tackler tries to get to him. If a linebacker hits him and he just kind of like pops off and then continues to run. Uh, Booth a couple different times sort of gets bodied or gets a a physical challenge and is able to turn out of it and keep the ball. And and I think Areola can do that as well. A lot of the time, though, I think it is him sort of scrapping and physically battling, whereas a couple times Booth, I think, has the technical ability to receive control and turn and then ride that challenge because now the defender has to make a sort of lunge to try to make something happen so I liked uh, that aspect of Booth's game I liked his delivery for the most part still I think yeah somebody will see evolve and improve similar to Zendejas Goss is there anybody for you that you were unimpressed by or less impressed by from this camp no I I think this was always going to be a tough camp for Gio Reyna I don't okay, know how many of them it. are going to be. Let's talk about that Giorena I was like, is that where you're room, sending me here? Well, no. I mean, there's a few players that I think could have been nominees. But but since you've brought it up, that was one that Joe and I talked about a lot in the, the BR live stream about sort of 
How were people feeling about him? It felt, Joe, I can't remember the exact numbers. I think it was split to some extent. 45 I, I think, is what it yeah, was. Yeah, I think the larger percentage saying, like, let's move on with it. It's fine. But, but I think that 55-45 spoke to where I am with it, which is that I have a hard time believing that there isn't some residual frustration, not even with the parents, not even with that whole saga, but just with everything that happened at the World Cup, uh, his sort of visible frustration, his lack of effort, having to have a meeting with the team and then a second meeting with the team. It seems like it's resolved. It, that's what's been said publicly, uh, for the most part, at least. I, I still thought, I, I was still watching very, very mm-hmm. closely to see how he interacted, how involved he was with the team. Even uh, the, for people who haven't seen it, Matt Turner after the game yeah. kicked a ball and it exploded, uh, announcing that he's having, uh, he and his wife are having a girl. And seeing Gio Reyna jump in and celebrate. I literally I was like Gio Reyna giving 110% on the gender reveal. Exactly. Exa- and so like even stuff like that, which maybe shouldn't matter, did matter, which is where, yeah, I can see being a little bit mixed on Gio Reyna. I thought he was fine on the pitch. Not great, but not bad. Uh, but I think there was that residual sort of hangover feeling that I was aware of throughout these two games. He almost got on the end of a Pulisic corner in mm-hmm. the El Salvador game. And it was like my first thought was, what would they do? Yeah. You know, you're like waiting to see what a goal celebration looks like. Where's the excitement? You know, the whole Granada game you're watching to see, are they linking up at all? Pulisic and Reyna, and they didn't really? And then in the El Salvador game, Zendejas comes inside and like instantly Pulisic plays a one-two. And you're like, am I thinking about this too much? Are they? I, I said in the beginning, and, and I think it is true, he's not a center mid right now. Like he just doesn't find the ball enough. He doesn't affect the game enough. And so his best attribute attributes are probably out wide. And what we saw in the Nations League final two years ago at this point, whatever it was, of taking guys 1v1, being aggressive, taking shots, a lot of that is individual. So I don't know that he was put in the right position in this camp to be at his best, and I don't know that he can be at his best. Like, he hasn't really been healthy. He hasn't played a ton of minutes for Dortmund. We've talked about it, you know. He came off the bench for injured players early and then didn't start the next game because they're still managing his minutes. So there are question marks around all of that. I think it was a positive that he came through the camp and, like, played in the second game, which meant... No one tried to tackle him in practice after the first game or between the two games. Um, But I I didn't think he was impressive at all in what he brought to the team and brought to the game. And that's okay. sometimes. It's just magnified right now because of everything else that's gone on. You didn't think he was impressive at all? Did I miss something? (laughs) I mean, I I don't know, because I I think... To your like to your own hesitation, I don't know if anybody had a bad showing, and I think having Reina play in that four two three one as the more central creator, I think he was tasked with moving around and trying to find space and pull people out of position. It's one that I think I'd probably have to go back and watch him specifically and see how involved he was and what he was doing on and off the ball. But I, I do think that maybe this is Joe's hyping him up that has sort of bled into my understanding. But I think. Having him as a more creative technical player in the middle, potentially pulling strings, I do think is where he is most comfortable and it allows us to have that depth that we have out wide continue to be that depth because with him out wide, maybe we don't have Zendejas, maybe we don't have Booth, maybe we don't have Tim Weah when he's fully fit. So I think it it gives us interesting wrinkles. Uh, Joe, David, less impressed by uh, uh, Gio Reyna. I turn to you to uh, sing his praises or condemn him further. No, I mean... I still am playing that 
moment on the left side of the box in the first half of the El Salvador game, I believe it was, where he's got Zendejas like wide open yeah. in the box and he decides to shoot from a really tough angle, hits the post. So, I mean, doesn't yeah. doesn't do horribly with yeah. that shot. But, you know, there are still those kinds of moments with Giorena that, that frustrate. And, and those are probably not going away, right, ever. Because Giorena is at the level where he backs himself to do that kind of stuff. And it's frustrating. But I don't think you get the moment against Mexico in World Cup qualifying without this moment against El Salvador where he takes the shot and you're like, dude, what are you doing? So there are always going to be those frustrations and, and I will be frustrated by them, but they're not the end of the world. In general, I don't think Giorena did like a bunch of great stuff in this camp. I'm also not really sure that the role he played was that much different than what we've seen before. Like the, the difference between... I, I kind of talked about those different shapes, the possession shapes that we've seen earlier. It's never actually a 4-2-3-1, right? It always changes. And you and I talked about that a little bit yesterday, Taylor. Like, it's never really a 4-2-3-1. And Reyna's role was probably a bit more fluid in this camp than it's been before. But, I mean, he's still tucking into the half spaces. He's still, you know, finding space either in the left half space or the right half space, which is what his role has almost always been for the U.S. It's what it almost always is for Dortmund as well. So it's it's not that different. And I think there's going to be a lot of overblown discussion about like sort of how how varied this role was from Giorena, and was it right or was it wrong? I think we just need to see more of him in a U.S. shirt before we have concrete conclusions about where he's best. Is it on the right side? Is it on the left side? Is it in a little bit more of a free role? Should he be, you know, somewhat more static and, and stay within the structure more so and not trigger other rotations? But on the whole, I thought he was a part of a pretty long list of U.S. players that were unremarkable in these games because the opponents were unremarkable and the games were unremarkable. Weirdly, when you said unremarkable, I started getting what seems to be an angrily ringing phone call from New Jersey. So I'm going to go take that, uh, and then we'll be back to round out this episode with some more individual performance reviews, as well as a look ahead for the next U.S. camps back soon. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. 
And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Goss, coming back to you to continue the Gio Reyna conversation because I want to ask this. If he had scored, I, I, like the first thing that came to me, I think the ideal celebration is just sort of like tapping the badge to show like, yeah, the U.S. is what matters. Would the worst celebration have been run to the corner flag and point at his own name on the back of the probably. jersey? I feel like that would have – or maybe even just like a Greg still out undershirt or something like that probably yeah, would have just whips off bad. the jersey, reveals an 06 Cloudy Arena World Cup jersey. <laughs> And that that probably wouldn't have gone over much better um, either. Although if he would have scored, it probably would have changed my narrative or a lot of people's about him. And that's kind of who he is still. Yep. Right. It's like if it comes off, it's great. Yep. The way it affects the team, maybe not consistent, but he's capable of these moments. And that's what you have him out there for. I will give him some credit, by the way. I think Joe said it well of like these teams run remarkable. It's hard to gauge the soccer because maybe it's not a fair opponent. One of the worries about playing him centrally is how easy you could be to play through and maybe how slow you are to counter press. I thought he was really good in their pressing shape against El Salvador, especially in the first half. They basically pushed him high to make it a 4-4-2 alongside DK, and he was the one routing the ball the entire time. And DK was the one sort of dropping in and shadow marking the defensive midfielder. And I thought Reyna was pretty committed to that and did a good job. Um, over the course of that. When you say unremarkable, though, I would say DK is probably the one that stands out. It was a quiet performance he, for him. He and, stands out for being unremarkable. Right. I like that. <laughs> and for Pepe to for Pepe to come in yeah. and immediately stretch the line and score is tough for DK, where that's a lot of what you're expecting from him. And that's what he's done in England. Is like he is a threat. He finds really good angles, especially on the wide on the opposite channel. So, like, Pepe scores the goal rolling through the inside channel. Um, DK does a really good job of pulling off the center backs and being an option over the top for his center backs playing out of the back or his center mids. I think he's, he really understands how to use his body well. He drew two or three fouls in the first half, and set pieces were dangerous for the U.S. It has been historically. It was in these two games, so I think that's really good. But even the one he draws where he's – you know, turns, dribbles in, and then comes across the defender and draws the foul right on the top of the box that Pulisic hits off a defender, he's losing his dribble. Like, I don't really know that he's continuing that run if he doesn't get taken down. And so you have a guy who doesn't really affect the game that well. When he's on the ball, you didn't see the best of him. And I think DK is a guy who's, you know, trying to climb. He missed the World Cup. Pepe's scoring goals. Pepe's probably already ahead of him anyway. He's also younger than him, so the assumption that DK is going to get better sort of equals with Pepe. Then you've got Balogun going to Yankee preseason spring training games and everything else that's going on there. You've got Brandon Vasquez, rumors now connecting him to European teams. Like It is competitive, and I don't, I don't think DK did anything to take a step forward in this camp. And Joe said maybe it doesn't really matter for some guys because Anthony Hudson's not the decision maker. But I don't know that DK is getting called in this summer. Like, I don't know that that's a guarantee and that's an opportunity that's going to go wasted for him because I don't know that he did anything in this camp to help him get there. Yeah, I put it this way, like in a very overly simplified way, 
if a new coach comes in and has a quick meeting with Anthony Hudson and says, like, hey, who impressed you? Uh, you want to be one of those players who, when he's sort of coming up with an answer on the fly, is, you know, oh, Ricardo Pepe scored two goals, looked for the electric, comes in and scores immediately. Love that, love that, love this guy. I don't think Daryl DK is going to be on yeah. that short list. I, I, so, yeah, I would share kind of both of your uh, opinions on that one that wasn't wasn't bad wasn't great either so he sort of stays where he was in the pecking order whereas Ricardo Pepe uh not not just for the two goals against Granada but I I love those two goals but I especially loved his goal against El Salvador just because of how well he finishes he has that near post goal against Granada but in this one it's near post but it's also sort of chipped he waits for the goalkeeper to commit and then he puts it over that 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 arm he has other opportunities in the second half as well but that goal being the difference maker felt appropriate for Ricardo Pepe to come in and and do things that we expected of him and we knew he could do and it's why we were all so hyped about him and then it falls off a little bit so to have him back and scoring made me especially excited uh let me just add the goal that goal that's the Groningen goals he's been scoring when you watch I, I don't watch the full games all the time but when you watch the goals he scores that's the goal he scores right a lot of times it's in transition he takes it in such a way that it's so natural for him and that's the thing that he's elite at is as a finisher when he's confident and when he knows what decision to be made I'm saying all that in saying in retrospect what would have been at the World Cup if he had not been at Augsburg I'm still curious because even if it's at FC Dallas, if he was confident, right, he, when he gets into spots like that, he knows exactly what he wants to do. And you see what happens when that's the case. It just was a goal scorer the U.S. didn't have. Joe, would you put uh, Ricardo Pepe ahead of Fuller and Balogun right now? Or is Balogun number one in your heart always forever? Yeah, not a chance. Balogun <laughs> is absolutely ahead. Sorry, I've been I've been a little distracted because the U.S. women's national team just released their roster for the last camp before the World Cup. And Julie Ertz is on the roster. I know Ooh. listeners will already know this by then. But uh, but this is this is unexpected, to say the least. And I'm sure there'll be plenty more that we talk about that going forward. But yes, Balogun always and forever. And, and just generally. So it's Balog- Julie Ertz, then Balogun, Correct. then Pepe. Got I, I just mm-hmm. think there's like massive levels to the, the difference in player between Ricardo Pepe and Balogun. I think Pepe is a promising young number nine who's developing. But you look at the differences in where they're playing, like the difference in production and underlying numbers just it's not really a competition for me right now and I hope it gets to be more of one because I think Pepe is a good player with a bright future ahead of him it's just not maybe an even contest right now so if we don't want to have too many more conversations I think about individual performers because it it feels like we're all kind of our basic takeaway is nobody was was outright bad a few players helped their cause but for the most part it is what it is I do have a couple like bigger picture questions for you all Starting with Goss, I think we've gotten Joe's perspective there. If you're coming up with a number nine depth chart right now, what are your top three? And you can include Balogun, uh, jinxing that potentially. But if you want to throw Balogun in there, who would be your three number nines if you're putting a squad together? If I'm adding Balogun, mm-hmm. I would say it's Pepe, Balogun, and probably Jesus Ferreira. Those are All still right. probably my three. Joe, agree or disagree with that? I would go with Balogun, Sargent, and you can sort of toss a ring around a ring toss for the last one. Like, it could be Ferreira, it could be Vasquez, it could be Pepe. Maybe Pepe has the edge, but I think there's a lot of recency bias for scoring last night, and I'm not sure I want to be on board. And scoring in general. Like, he's scoring goals right now, right? Yep. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just not there. I'm, I'm just not all the way there. I think Pepe is a good young player, like I said before. But I think Balogun is, is miles ahead, number one. Sargent has that number two spot locked up, and I, I really struggle for that third one. Taylor, what do you think? What does your top three look like? Is it easy? It's Julie Ertz, and then it's Balogun, and then it's Pepe. My man. We already My did man. that one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, I think from what I've seen of Balogun, he's 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 very good. Uh, I don't want to go so far down the like he is the difference maker, but I think it's it's revealing of where we of how we feel about the number nine spot, about how we continue to feel about the number nine spot. That anybody who could be that difference maker, mm-hmm. who could put that consistency together, is going to be in the conversation. I think Pepe is very much in there right now. And then it's a big question mark because there are lots of different options like in MLS or abroad. Uh, Jordan Pifak continues to be in that conversation for some, less so for me. I think right now it would be between Sargent and probably Ferreira. Uh, Sargent has had an up and down season, has had injuries, but I still think we haven't gotten to see him post-World Cup uh, in the form that I would like. So I would put him in there as well. But it's 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 an iffy one. So too is the set-piece conversation. Joe, we talked about this plenty last night. Christian Pulisic still taking most of the corners, most of the set-pieces, uh, still being pretty erratic with his delivery. He, he did a better job at times, but we still saw the, the overhead uh, corner a number of times. We still saw the under-hit corner a number of times. For you, uh, if you need somebody to take that set piece, we got a free kick 25 yards out in the middle of the pitch. Uh, we're da- we're nil-nil. We need something to happen here. Who is the player that you most trust to, at the very least, put that shot on frame? Oh, a shot on frame. Okay, so if we're talking about putting something on goal rather than putting something okay. in into the box. Let's do shot on frame, and then we'll do set piece delivery. But yeah, shot on frame. Okay, I think it is Giorena for that, for the first one. I think it's probably Giorena for both of them. But Reyna, I think, has the technique when he hits the ball with that right foot to put the ball where he wants it at a higher level than Christian Pulisic. I think we have a large enough sample size to say that. I mean, there's a couple other candidates that I'm intrigued by. Zendejas is is one of those. I'm kind of intrigued by Tim Weah doing some of that stuff as well. I know he wasn't in this camp. But Reyna, I guess, is my default answer on this until we see like a bunch more of somebody else doing it. But Zendejas is my, my dark horse here. So historically for the U.S. and club, Kellen Acosta, if he's in the pool, has been the best. Whether it's shooting just because he kind of always gets it on frame, it's not super dangerous, but as we saw in MLS Cup, that allows for deflections, that allows for opportunities. Um, But mine is Serginho Dest, and I literally do not understand this. Again, like I said at the beginning, when talking about using him to build out and in possession, he is a weapon on the ball. He clearly can strike it with both feet. So he, if you put him over a free kick, you're not really sure which way he's going to go, which is an option. also means he could take set pieces and corner kicks from both sides. And on the corner kick service conversation, he's not a factor in the box. And he's not really killing the transition moments defensively. It's not like you're losing a piece there to say, oh, no, the ball's going to pop out. Serginho Dest is the one who's going to clean it up. Yes, if something pops out to him, he can bring it down and strike it. But that's 2% of the time or 5% of the time. I don't understand why this hasn't even been talked about. Like, he, I don't know that he's ever taken anything um, for the U.S. And that makes no sense to me at all. Joe, thoughts on uh, Dest as our set piece specialist? I like the idea. I'm not sure. I, I don't know, right? We haven't seen it. Goss, you said it there. We haven't seen a lot of him taking set pieces because 
at the national team level, it has defaulted to Christian Pulisic for the vast majority of the time. And at the club level, he's playing for clubs where he's not the guy. Like, he's not taking set pieces from Milan. He's not taking set pieces for Barcelona. I don't think he was taking set pieces for Ajax. One of the dings about Dest's game that I've had is that his final ball is generally not the best. So I, I guess I would say my jury is out. But in terms of like what you're losing in other phases of the set pieces, yeah, like he's not bringing you anything in the box on, on cleanup duty or on you know any aerial battles. And he's not really the guy you want as one of the two players you're keeping back to stop the transition. So almost if you default him into that set piece taking role, I can kind of see it, but I, I just don't know enough about Death's deliveries to say, like, yes, this is the guy. We've seen him be able to bend in balls. Like, I, I don't think I've seen that before. I would Gosh. also add... Yeah. We've said, do you seen... feel personally slighted by that? <laughs> no, not at all. We've seen Pulisic and Reyna both be threats. You know, offset pieces around the box. So you're also adding that element back into the team, which is having these elite players around the goal in goal dangerous moments and that all of it combined to me makes sense. I'm clearly wrong because no one has ever tried it, but I will remain wrong for the rest of my life. Uh, in terms of my favorite player, uh, I, I invite you all to to agree or disagree, but you're both wrong because it's my favorite player. And that answer remains Weston McKinney. I love Weston McKinney. He's not even the best player on the team. He's not the most technical. He's not even the most important, but I think, uh, for what he does on the pitch and then off the pitch, I loved the clip of him trying to mess with Zendejas while Zendejas was doing an interview and he's just dancing behind the camera to try to mess with him. Little stuff like that might be silly, but I think it's also the levity that he brings, the enthusiasm that he brings, uh, like the photos of, of him with the 10-year-old kid in training made me very, very happy. So I just continue to love Weston McKinney as a player for the team. Do you all have, have any players on the squad that you just enjoy? Not even for necessarily for what they bring on the pitch, but just you like seeing them in the team. You feel like they, 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 they give you happy vibes. They give you happy energy. Yunus Musa. Yunus Musa is the answer always Good and forever. Shout. Um, especially if he ropes in Florin Balgan, and I will love him even more. <laughs> uh, mine's Tyler. And I think it goes to the type of players yeah. everyone likes and watches yeah. and is and whatever. But anytime Tyler's on the national team, yeah. I'm happy. And anytime you get to hear him talk and represent the country and all those types of things, um, I think coming out of the World Cup, he came out even stronger than he went in as like a personality in my mind and like a central force in American soccer. I like that answer. I like both of your answers. I think there's a lot more we could discuss about like GM possibilities, the coaching search, where we go from here, rosters, all that. I'm honestly not sure, I welcome you all to agree or disagree, that it's it's really worth that much more of a conversation because I think what we've landed on was this was fine. They did what they needed to do. They qualify for the Nations League final. They brought in some new players. We saw some new faces. We saw some pe- people get reps and brought back into the fold. But overall, I think it's still a, yeah, we, we learned what we needed to learn, but who knows what will happen next. So I think we can't extrapolate too much. Any other points for either of you about anything in this camp or in future camps that you'd like to see or enjoyed seeing? I think that's I think that's the right call, Taylor, as far as you know, the sort of the limit on what we can learn. I will say I would like to see more of this front foot style at, at different yeah. games. Not not style. That's that's really poorly phrased by me. Front foot personnel, right? Where you have just two straight up central midfielders and then you get an extra attacker on the field. I don't think it looked perfect in this window, and, and I don't think it would have mattered if it did, to be honest. But I would like to see that used more against lower-quality teams, and I hope the next manager, whoever that is, and I, I hope they come soon, 
because while this wasn't a fully wasted window, it wasn't a maximized window either. And the summer won't be fully wasted, but it won't be maximized, which means by definition that it is also being wasted. So I, I do want to see us get forward. I, I was holding on onto that for a while. Sorry. That was like a callback from like 40 minutes ago, but we like talked it. about it for so long then that I figured like nobody wanted to hear any more about it, but I'm tossing it Bring in it now because we're almost done. Uh, you know, I, I want to see more of that going forward. And I hope whoever the next manager is that they're in yeah. as soon as possible and that I hope that we see more of that front foot personnel stuff going forward against the right teams. Yeah, that was that was the thing we talked about in the broadcast, Joe, that when they would have that sort of 4-2-4 shape, it felt like that midfield two stayed a little bit too deep. There was usually that gap there, which wasn't even exploited. It just meant that we couldn't get more numbers forward into more dangerous positions. And I almost wonder if having somebody like Miles Robinson there, who we haven't had previously, now he's back. Now we have somebody who can make up that ground and it allows you to play a higher line. And maybe with Jedi Robinson staying a little bit deeper, you've got his speed as well. I think it would allow the U.S. to be more front foot forward, being more aggressive and taking the game to CONCACAF opposition. I think the Gold Cup and the Nations League could be great opportunities to further improve that approach. So I think that's a great concluding point. Joe, Goss, anything for you before we head out? No, I am rooting for Costa Rica. That is also a great decision. Panama to draw and Canada to win so that Mexico drops to fourth in this Nations League, which means we'd play them as the number one seed in the first game, which would be perfect to knock Mexico out in the semifinal and El Salvador's jerseys are fire and that's well done by them uh I did uh on that note uh I did enjoy Hugo Perez being asked after the game if he would ever throw his hat into consideration for the USMNT gig to which he responded if I answer that question I will be killed in in El Salvador (laughs) so and then just like smiled and walked away so I think he uh, politicked that very, very yeah. well. But well done to Hugo Perez, who uh, a, a buddy of mine messaged to say, isn't he who Montreal should have hired? And I'm having a hard time letting go of that idea that Hugo Perez, uh, for his ability to kind of bring young players through and get a, a team to play a unified system and make it very difficult for more talented teams to beat them, that does seem like a thing that Montreal could have utilized Uh it- all disrespect to Hernan Losada intended. Interesting, because my messages were about, isn't he who DC should have hired? An El Salvador international coach to come into the DC market, who knows MLS, who knows the US youth national team mm-hmm. pool, who has developed players and created connections, bringing kids into academies in the past. Uh, that was the one that I got. Okay. So we'll get Wayne Rooney to Montreal. Yeah. We'll get Losada to, to El Salvador. Yeah, and then exactly. we'll get Hugo Perez to DC. That sounds good, Joe. Hernan Losada <laughs> and El Salvador would be must watch. That's Bravo TV right there. <laughs> we saw HBO it, Max. I, I think there we go. We got reality shows. We got USMNT covered. We've got a coaching carousel. I don't know what else we need other than Plus, to say then Joe Lowry. You've got Lowry. Rooney versus Henri in the uh, alumni Montreal Impact or CF Montreal games. And that's that's where I think Henri should be spending his time, that and on broadcasts, maybe less so the USMNT gig. Uh, on that note, Joe Lowry, thank you for taking all the time today and last night to talk about the U.S. with me. Right back at you, Taylor. David Goss, thank you very much for bringing it today. I enjoyed uh, our conversation and uh, some of the coaching speculation as well there at the end. I am always here for random things that don't matter. <laughs> uh, in that case, uh, barbecue capital of the United States, Gus, we put that one to the vote last night, too. I'm not really the right person for this because I'm not an expert. but There will be will, no waffling. I will say Kansas City. There we go. See? Uh, well, the internet will 
appreciate that in some quarters and be furious at others. Although uh, some people would say New York City. Uh oh. Yeah, and those people are wrong. Who has ever uh, said that? No. Who has nope. ever said that? Some yeah. crazy like New Yorker article or New York Times <laughs> thing, and people got so upset, and it was amazing. Just let the Midwest have one thing, like literally yeah. one thing. I think yeah, we all can those do that. all those smokers in your Midtown apartments for sure. Is the Midwest <laughs> the one that's next to us, or is that the one that's below us? Uh, If you live in New York, I believe your mentality is that everyone is below you. I think that's how it works. Uh, David Goss, thank you again. Joe Lowry, thank you. The Midwest, thank you especially. We'll talk to you all again very soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.